Well, good morning, everybody. Um, my name's Amber, and if we haven't met yet, it's nice to meet you. Um, I've been part of this body of Christ here in Fergus Falls Life Church for about the last eight years. Um, you normally see me on the worship team up here, um, but I've also served on staff for a couple years. Um, and I, I just stepped down this past January after I had my fifth baby. <laughs> so if we haven't met yet, it is really nice to meet you. And um, I couldn't pass up this opportunity right now just because here we are, it's in the mo month of October, just to add my own echo of um, acknowledging Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, I have just so much deep gratitude and respect and admiration for our pastors here. And there's, there's this verse that says, um, don't grow weary in doing good. <laughs> and, you know, we often, we try to encourage ourselves with that as we're, you know, trying to, um, you know, bring the gospel to the four corners of the earth and expand the kingdom and serve and serve and serve and love on people around us. And we want to, you know, encourage our pastors with that word as well. And sometimes just doing something practical <laughs> with that, don't grow weary in doing good, goes a long way. So I just really encourage you this month um, just to sh reach out to our pastors and show your gratitude. Um, send a word of encouragement, write a note, write a letter, um, let them know um, how, how much they have helped um, or just been a blessing to you. Uh, I would just encourage you to do that. And so, and you know, for my own, I know um, a couple of them aren't here this morning, but Roger and Mason, thank you, 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 both of you <laughs> for coming up north. Yes, let's clap. <laughs> For coming up north and um, joining us in Viking territory, we will eventually convert you um, to, I don't know, maybe not, maybe not, but just thank you for coming and joining this body and um, bringing your gifts to the body. Roger, you have such a gift for systems and organization and leadership and Mason, you're one of the kindest people I know and you're so encouraging and you're faithful. And for Greg and Nicholas, thank you, thank you, thank you for your faithfulness, your steadfastness, your humility, and your courage. Um, you have been such an example to this body in those ways. And so I want to thank you as well. Um, we just love you all. <laughs> and I, I could seriously gush about all of you. So I'll have to send cards myself, um, but I've got nine pages of notes. <laughs> so we will gush later. So would you repeat after me? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's say it again. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. Today we're continuing on in our series on the book of Ruth. And we're reaching the climax of the story. And Ruth is a wonderful picture of the redeemed saying so. <laughs> she is redeemed saying so. Have you ever lost anything important to you? <laughs> um, as we've been reflecting these last few weeks, um, going over in great detail the story of Ruth, her and her mother-in-law, Naomi, have lost a lot. Um, have you been reflecting on the things that you've lost? I know I have. Um, I am, I'm someone who, this is a little lighthearted, but I'm someone who, like, I will take really good care of my stuff. 
Like, um, if, especially if it's something that I love, like I will take super good care of it. So I still have, you guys, my Spalding backpack from the seventh grade. Do you even know what Spalding is? <laughs> Do you remember that? I still have my backpack from the seventh grade and it rocks, you guys. Like it's in super good condition. I literally carry like my keyboard like stuff in it because it's awesome. I love that thing. I will have it forever till it falls apart. I even have a laundry basket from the third grade. You guys, <laughs> a laundry basket, um, right, Trevor? <laughs> like, don't touch my laundry basket. I'm gonna have that thing, I don't know, until it falls apart. Um, so I take good care of myself. So, I mean, like, one time I left my favorite necklace and hairbrush in a hotel sometime, somewhere in college, and I still think about it. It still bothers me. It was a really good hairbrush, you guys. <laughs> Lost and gone forever. Um, and those are, those are small, silly losses. Um, but what about the really big things? Like the, the crushing, devastating losses, like what Ruth and Naomi experienced. This last week, um, this memory popped up on my Facebook thing. I love Facebook memories. Anybody else? Um, and so I, ha I brought this picture I wanted to share today because it's, it's so perfect. This popped up. This picture was from nine years ago. Um, my husband and I were leading worship at a retreat with our team, and we were we were heavily involved in this worship or in this um, retreat, and it was just incredibly fun. And we snapped this picture afterward, and I I remember thinking at the time or feeling at the time like I was living a mountaintop kind of season of my life. Like we were, I, I felt like we were really successful. Um, we loved our church. We loved our community. We were accomplishing some goals and dreams in our life. We had a couple kids at that point. Um, I, I was putting my hand to some work that I loved and I felt like I was born to do. At the time, we were looking at property to build a house. Um, we had great friends around us and life was really, really great except for a couple important things <laughs> we weren't even necessarily aware of all that much at the time. Our souls were not doing good at all, and our marriage wasn't doing very good either. And only a few months after this picture was taken, um, a series of really good but really hard decisions um, that we had to make led to what felt for me like an overwhelming string of losses, like one after another after another. And I came tumbling down that mountaintop feeling, hitting every tree and rock and puddle on the way down. Have you been there? <laughs> um, until by the time I got to the bottom of that mountaintop experience, I had lost my home, I had lost my community, I had lost my church, I had lost the job that I loved, I had lost having my friends close by, um, and all I had left over were my precious kids and, and another on the way and a marriage that was really, really rocky. Um, I told a pastor friend of mine uh, in, the, in the few months after that, that for probably the first time in my life, I felt like I totally understood what Naomi was saying when she said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me bitter, or call me Mara, <laughs> for the Lord has made my life very bitter. And so every year when, you know, Facebook memories would pop up and I would see this picture, um, I would just sit and cry. <laughs> I, I felt, in particular, this banner hanging behind that says, Redeemed. Um, you know, it was just like stinging. I certainly didn't, you know, feel that way. Um, but friends, 
That was a while ago, and there's far more to the story. And just like Naomi and Ruth, their story wasn't over after they came crashing down their own mountaintop. Um, their story didn't end with their heartbreak and loss, neither did mine, and neither will yours if you are there. So I pray what comes out of our text this morning will encourage you to say so, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, just like Ruth, and call on your Redeemer to do in your life what only he can do. So this morning we're walking through this really significant moment for Ruth. Um, and really this is, this is like the moment where her entire life trajectory changes for the good. Um, spoiler alert, <laughs> we'll talk about that next week. Um, but more broadly speaking, we're talking about redemption as a function of chesed love. We've been talking about chesed <laughs> um, over the last several weeks. Um, and redemption is a function of chesed love. Because God loves you, he has planned to redeem you. He has planned to restore you. He has planned to heal you, make you whole. And as we've been discovering over the last several weeks, Hesed love is one that offers help, it offers rescue and redemption. I love this definition from Rachel Myers of She Reads Truth. She says, Hesed is covenantal favor, unmerited belonging, loving kindness, immensely complex and loyal love that only comes from God himself. So in our portion today, Ruth is following the instructions that Naomi has given her. She's going to approach Boaz and she's going to appeal to him as her kinsman redeemer. So let's take a moment just to remember where we've come from. We've got two widows. They've lost everything. They've come to a new land. Ruth is an outsider in every sense of the word, social, <laughs> ethnic, religious. She's an outsider. She's a Moabitess. She ends up being in a spot where she can gather grain in a field that just so happens to belong to a very kind and a very generous, God-fearing man named Boaz. And he also happens to be a relative. She has shown this unmerited kindness that provides for her and her mother-in-law. So the text we come to today is the climax of the story. So Naomi says, hey, this guy is our kinsman redeemer. Here's instructions. You need to go and ask him, would you step in? So our, me our message title this morning is Cover Me. And all throughout this passage, we're going to highlight a few things this morning and just kind of nerdy nosedive in there, okay? Are you all right if we get a little nerdy this morning? <laughs> um, lots of scripture. There's this beautiful imagery that happens in this text um, that we're going to highlight, and then we're, we're going to take a few steps back and look at a more like bird's eye view of everything. And, um, and we're going to look at this overarching theme of redemption that's kind of contained in this little story. So, you ready? Buckle up. <laughs> Say buckle up to your neighbor. Um, here we go. So in Leviticus 25, jumping way back, there is a practice of kinsman redeemer. This is where we get that term from. And it also comes from an oriental custom um, with relatives stepping in uh, to help redeem something. 
but it mostly comes from Leviticus 25. And this is where God is setting up practices for his people. And he says, hey, if you own a piece of property and if you fall into, fall into poverty and you're not able to care for it anymore, someone can come around you and they can buy it from you. And, um, and there's instructions for like a relative to do that and then redeem it for you so it's not lost. So that property, the ownership, the provision isn't lost. Um, and so when when Ruth comes to ask Boaz to do that this morning, um, she's, she's pointing out, you fit the bill for this. And as Amanda shared last week, which was such a powerful word, thank you, Amanda, for your message last week, that Boaz is also, he needs to be willing and he needs to be able. Um, According to the kinsman redeemer <laughs> practice, it would also be his responsibility to marry her. Ruth, in this case, as she's the one asking, it could be Naomi, <laughs> but she isn't the one asking, it's Ruth. And to marry her so that she can produce an heir, so that ownership of land and her dead husband's name, his family line, can continue. This is all part of the practice of kinsman redeemer and it's a really beautiful practice that god has made a way of provision for his people and it's also symbolic of our entire relationship with christ christ is our ultimate kinsman redeemer so let me point out just a couple like side notes that are happening in this text just to point them out to you we're not going to spend a lot of time time on them but first notice that boaz is surprised to find a woman at his feet, okay? This wasn't a normal thing for him. Boaz is an honorable man. And there's, there's nothing scandalous or provocative or sensual about what's happening here. And this is, a, this is like a tangent. I, th I find it unfortunate that this text is often um, read that way, and it's understandable that it would be. Um, but Boaz is an honorable man, and he says himself, um, even in this passage, uh, he says, everyone in town knows you're a virtuous woman, he says to Ruth. So she is as well. Um, no, Naomi's advice to her about, you know, all these things that she has to do, yes, get clean, <laughs> smell good, um, you know, go in, but she gives these instructions to her, go in late at night um, so no one sees you, and she gives, she gives these instructions um, to avoid unnecessary rumors. Also notice that Boaz, notice his reaction when Ruth asks him, he, he says thank you, basically, and he is surprised that she would ask him instead of going after someone who is much younger. What this tells me um, is that every time that we have seen Boaz so far show kindness to her and give her special favor, special treatment, he's not pursuing her. He's not trying to woo her. He's not trying to get something out of her. He is purely just showing kindness He's just trying to take care of her, and it's just beautiful. So this kinsman redeemer concept, this is the Hebrew word goel, which I think you've been saying it, goel, yes? When this term is used both, um, when it's used, there are, there's a few different um, functions of it. It is used in the sense of redeeming land, property, um, ownership, finances, uh, legal ownership, but it's also used, and I found this incredibly fascinating, it's also used in terms of avenging blood, 
As in, if someone takes out your family member, it would be on you as kinsman redeemer to avenge them and bump off the murderer, which is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> um, that would probably not fly today. Um, but remember, as we've talked about, God is our ultimate kinsman redeemer. He is our ultimate goel. So his redemption, I can't help but think of Genesis 3.15, where it says, the Lord, the Lord is saying to the serpent, Satan, this is right after the fall of man, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, Satan made the first move to commit murder to the soul of mankind. And God is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the kinsman redeemer. I'm going to step in. I'm going to avenge blood. You may have gotten the heel of my son and daughter, but I'm coming after your head. Oh, you guys, that's really powerful. And this is the very first time that redemption is mentioned in Scripture. And I love that about God. He's just, we're going to start off with a bang here. <laughs> like, I will redeem everything. Um, so if that doesn't get you, I don't know what else does. <laughs> um, but from this point on, God is going to repeatedly communicate and reveal himself as our redeemer, um, which is so beautiful. So notice, so next I'm going to just read through a bunch of scripture that highlights redemption. Um, God being our goel, our ultimate goel, he is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. And notice how these three elements of redemption um, pop up. So the, these are in your notes too. Um, elements of Goel, it's restoring land, property, finances, legal ownership, and avenging blood. And there's, of course, the spiritual element of redemption as well. He provides salvation. He rescues us from death, and he gives us more than we can ever deserve with his gift of salvation. So consider, for example, in Exodus, Exodus 6, 5 through 8, you can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will free you from your oppression, and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. In the book of Isaiah, God is Goel in Isaiah 43.1 when he says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. These, are, these next ones are all in your notes. He is Goel when he delivers his people from Egypt. Look these up later in Isaiah 51.10, 63.9. He is Goel when he delivers his people from captivity in Babylon. Isaiah 48, 52, 62. He is Goel when he delivers an individual or when an individual cries out to him for redemption in Psalm 49, 71, 26, 69. He is Goel in his sacrificial gift of salvation, 
Isaiah 35, 69, 103. And of course, these are all just texts where these things are very directly said. But as we know, if we've read through the Bible, his story of redemption is everywhere. Even if that word doesn't show up, his story is everywhere. I love this reference, Isaiah 59, 16 through 20. This next portion of scripture we're gonna read is such a beautiful and powerful picture of our rescuer, redeemer, um, our savior coming in valiantly to save the day like here he comes and he comes with a vengeance he's gonna avenge blood here so here's the verse it says he was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed so he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and his justice sustained him he put on righteousness as his body armor he placed the helmet of salvation on his head he clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. He will repay his enemies for his, their evil deeds. His fury will fall on his foes. He will pay them back even to the ends of the earth. In the west, people will respect the name of the Lord. In the east, they will glorify him. For he will come like a raging flood tide driven by the breath of the Lord. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel, the those who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. I love this verse, especially for those couple lines right at the beginning. I don't know if you caught that. It says, he was amazed. That word amazed is actually better translated like he was appalled or horrified. He was appalled, astounded, horrified to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. You guys, God is bothered He's appalled to see you in your destitution, in your oppression, in your loss. And he wants someone to step in and help. Someone to step in and redeem and save. And this scripture says, he looked around, he saw that no one was doing that. He was appalled and he was like, I'm gonna step in myself. I'm gonna come and redeem. The Hesed love of God insists on getting involved. Insists on it. We even see this in our passage today um, in verse 18. Uh, Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has things settled today. He is a picture of God as our ultimate goal. He won't rest. The love of God insists on getting involved. Here's another scripture I love. Jeremiah 31, 11 through 13 says, For the Lord has redeemed Israel from those too strong for them. They will come home and sing songs of joy on the heights of Jerusalem. They will be radiant because of the Lord's good gifts, the abundant crops of grain, new wine and olive oil, and the healthy flocks and herds. Their life will be like a watered garden, and all their sorrows will be gone. The young women will dance for joy, and the men, old and young, will join in the celebration. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. Just listen to that provision. <laughs> That's God providing more than material, but including the material, even emotionally providing in his redemption. He's the ultimate goel. Christ's redemption, his love in action, his hesed love, it won't leave you empty-handed. The hesed love of God won't leave you empty-handed. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. 
He insists on getting involved. He won't leave you empty-handed. And just a note, I want to be really clear. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel here. Like, I'm not preaching that. We don't believe that. That's not what our salvation is for or all about. But Scripture is very, very clear that God does provide, even materially, tangibly, practically, for his people. He doesn't, he doesn't do that in a sense of, like, that's what salvation is all about or a function of salvation. He does that because he loves us and he wants to meet our needs and care for us and provide for us. He loves us so much with a hesed sort of love. Even Boaz, this is in our text too today, um, in verse 16, when Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her, and she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Like in every sense of the word, God is trying to provide for, you, for her. Oh, excuse me. Now, here's another really fascinating detail in this story that I just find wonderfully coincidental for um, everything that happens. And it's the fact that this whole exchange that we're talking about today between Ruth and Boaz, it happens on the threshing floor. Um, the very place, as, as we talked about last week, the very place where barley is winnowed from the chaff. And for those of us reading the story on this side of the cross, um, you might hear that and think about John the Baptist's words, and I believe it's Matthew 3 and Luke 3, where he talks about there will be a coming time where the people of God won't be able to claim their geneal genealogical heritage um, as saying, well, I'm a son or daughter of Abraham. They won't be able to claim that as a ticket to heaven, but the only thing <laughs> that will save them will be that they have put their trust in Jesus Christ. John the Baptist is, is explaining that. And, and he, Jesus, he says, will come and he will separate those who have put their trust in him as wheat from those who, who don't put their trust in him as chaff. And at the time of our story, there's also this very clear distinction happening between in, insiders and outsiders, between God's chosen people and the Gentiles. And here's Ruth, who's a Moabitess, who in every sense of the word, she is an outsider. And I love this, because it's like in some ways, here we have Ruth, this outsider, Ruth, who is chaff, who is approaching barley <laughs> and asking to be made an insider. Um, and even though she's not asking for salvation from Boaz, and Boaz can't give that, it is ultimately what happens in Ruth's storyline. Ruth is putting her trust in Yahweh, and she is becoming barley, so to speak. She's becoming an insider. I love that. <laughs> Finally, one last detail of this story's climax that I want to spend a bit of time on is um, this very powerful visual of Hesed when Ruth says to Boaz, spread the corner of your garment over me. Cover me. Cover me. Say cover me. Cover me. Spread the corner of your garment over me. There's actually so much significance 
in that statement right there. And one of my favorite Bible professors pointed out to me years ago, and I've been like giddy about it ever since. So here's where we get really nerdy. <laughs> First of all, when she says that, it's a really clear reference to marriage, and this is maybe obvious to us. So one commentator I'd read put it this way. She had already drawn part of the mantle over her, and she asked him now to do it, that the act might become his own, because to spread a skirt over one is, in the East, a symbolical action denoting protection. To this day, in many parts of the East, to say of anyone that he put his skirt over a woman is synonymous with saying that he married her. And at all the marriages of the modern Jews and Hindus, one part of the ceremony is for the bridegroom to put a silken or cotton cloak around his bride. So this is something that is just custom. It's practice. Um, as an act of marriage, or symbolically, you're going to throw this cloak over your bride. We also see this connection of covering with a cloak and marriage in Ezekiel 16, a really graphic and kind of weird prophetic passage that likens Israel to this, uh, I'll just explain it in a minute, like it likens Israel to like this abandoned, bloody baby that's been left to die, and God sees it and steps in, and um, the baby grows and grows through puberty, and then ultimately the Lord then throws a robe over her and marries her, and then he lavishes his care and his provision on her, and everything about what he does, stepping in to help this baby, is his response, his redemption. It's all an act of redemption. Um, and the text there uses that same language, God speaking to Israel, I spread the corner of my garment over you. <laughs> and if you're curious, this is another very clear example of the Bible is not boring, okay? Go check out that passage, it's weird. Um, <laughs> the Bible is not, not boring. Um, so, covering with a garment, is symbolic of covenant, the corners of the garment. It's also a symbol of protection and provision, and maybe most importantly, it is also a symbol of righteousness. In the book of Numbers 15, men are given instructions to sew blue cords or tassels at the, the hems and edges of their garment, and they're told to do this as a reminder of all the commands of the Lord their God. Um, and the idea is that, is that these tassels would hang down, or fringes, sometimes called, they would hang down so that every step a person would take, they would feel these tassels swishing around, and it would be a constant reminder to be holy, to obey the commands of the Lord their God. And so what these represent is righteousness, righteousness, holiness. In fact, you'll hear Jesus in the New Testament, he will criticize the religious leaders. Hey, you make those tassels extra long, extra big um, as some kind of like show of your righteousness, like as if you're, you're more righteous than others because hey, check out these tassels. Um, and he's rebuking them in that sense because he said, you're actually far from it. Your actions are far from that. Um, so the corner of the garment, the, hint, the fringes, the hems, it's symbolic of righteousness. In Isaiah 61.10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. 
He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. When we're covered, we are in every sense of the word under the Lord's protection and under his righteousness. Not our own. Not our own, because we can't do it on our own. We are under his. So when Ruth comes to Boaz and she says, spread the corner of your garment over me, she's actually hinting at something there much bigger than marriage. She, she's asking for his protection and provision in marriage, yes. But she's also asking to come under the very same covering that he is under in claiming the righteousness of God. She's asking to come under the righteous protection of Yahweh. Ruth is using the Hebrew word kanaf for corner. I love this little word, kanaf. It's sometimes translated as wing, edge, corner, skirt, fringe, hem. It's the same word used for corners where the tassels go, as I said, to signify righteousness. Everywhere we see this word, the idea is that this covering is very, very broad. It's very, very wide. It's very, very extensive. The edges go to the four corners of the earth where when we hear that, if we've been reading our Bible a lot, we think of the four corners of the earth. Is, in other words, it's every tribe, every language, every tongue. It's everywhere. It's very broad, very expansive. God's covering is a lifted offering of protection, like the wings of a mother hen, ready to receive her young at any moment. Broad and wide, lifted, not closed off, not like, mm, you got to do something to earn this, but lifted, broad, wide, ready to receive. Think about that imagery, okay, when we talk about kanaf, the corner. Think about that imagery as we read through all these next verses. Ruth 2, we read a few weeks ago, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings, whose kanaf, you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. The Lord says to the Israelites in Exodus 19.4, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried or sustained you on eagle's wings, kanaf, and brought you to myself. Psalm 17.8, hide me in the shadow of your kanaf, your wings. Psalm 36, how precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings, your kanaf. Psalm 57, 1, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. Psalm 91, 4, this one's in your notes. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his kanaf, with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Cover me. Cover me. Malachi 4.2, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his kanaf. 
and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out of pasture. I love this one. Isaiah 6.1. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Train of his robe, that's the same word, kanaf. I love that imagery. I picture here we are in the temple, and here's God in our midst, and he's completely covering. He fills the temple. Every square inch of this place, so to speak, is covered under the righteousness of God. We can't earn it. We can't do anything, anything to deserve it, but he's, he provides it, his righteousness. And even this side of the cross where the temple, the tab- tab- tabernacle, it's not this exterior thing that we come to, come and go from, but he fills us. The temple of God is now in us. And think about that. The train of his robe fills the temple. Every square inch of me, <laughs> all of my shortcomings, Every bit of my messed up self is covered under the righteousness of God. I'm covered. I am covered. There's another interesting place in scripture where you find this word. In 1 Samuel, there's a story of David, and he's running from Saul. Saul wants to bump him off. (laughs) And so he's hiding in this cave. And at one point in the story, Saul is actually in the same cave where David is, and David has a prime opportunity to bump him off, to kill him, but he doesn't. Instead, he very quietly, like sneakily gets in there and he cuts off the corner, the kanaf of his robe, of his garment. Um, And afterward, the text says he is tremendously convicted about it. And I, I find it so interesting because to me, it's like he has symbolically just sent a message to Saul as if he is lost or he is somehow in danger of losing the covering of God when he cuts off the corner of his robe. This imagery comes into the New Testament as well. And again, I love this one so much. Um, In the Synoptic Gospels, we have the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Here's another person just like Ruth. She is an outsider in every way. She has been dealing with a hemorrhaging for many, many, many years, which according to Levitical law means that she is basically an outcast of society. She is unclean. Um, No one can touch her. Think about that, even her own family, because she is unclean. So in every way, she is an outsider and she is an outcast. But in this story... She says to herself, and this was recorded in Matthew 9, she says, if only I may touch his garment, I will be made well. If only I may touch his garment. And how did she know that? I think about that. Like, how did she know that? If anything, she had already come at that point to trust in Yahweh, and she had come to recognize Jesus as the Christ, the one full of righteousness who could heal. And so I love in the story, it's recorded in, well, several places, but in Luke chapter 8, the text says that she came forward, clawing her way through the crowd, and she reached out and she touched the border, the hem, 
the corner of his garment, and she was immediately healed. And I love this woman because she is being so forward, so very bold, and so very brave to step out, to have the audacity to break, like break custom, so to speak, even though she's unclean. She's going to claw her way through that crowd, and she is going to reach out to touch the hem of his garment. And I love in Luke 8.46, after she touches Jesus' robe, Jesus says, he basically is saying, who touched me? And, the, and all the disciples are going, what do you mean who touched you? This place is crawling with people, like everybody touched you. But he says, he says, no, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. This woman was deliberate. In a sense, she wasn't reaching for fabric. She was reaching for the knaf, the covering. She was reaching for the covering of Jesus, the only thing that could make her whole, the only thing that could make her clean, the only thing that could give her hope. She was reaching for kanaf from the ultimate goel. And she was covered. She was healed. She was whole. She was redeemed. And the same is true for Ruth in our story. The most significant thing about Ruth is that she puts her trust in Yahweh. She says, like, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. She puts her trust in Yahweh. When she approaches Boaz, the text reads, the language, like she already knows where her provision comes from. She is recognizing where Boaz is already covering her, where Yahweh is already coming through for her. And her actions here, just like the woman with the issue of blood, they're a really beautiful example to us, no matter where we stand, of Hebrews 4.16 when it says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace of our God, for there we will receive his mercy, we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Ruth approaches boldly. And here's ultimately where I want to end today. Redemption is available to us. It's available. Whether you find yourself as an insider, maybe, or as an outsider, as Ruth was, if you find yourself feeling like you're on the outskirts of society, or if you feel like you have a massive amount of loss in your life, maybe you have done things that you're not proud of, things that you're really ashamed of, you feel hopeless? Are you able to receive, as Ruth did, the kind of hesed love that our ultimate kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, has offered you? Are you able to receive the hesed love of God, who's had his wings up to provide for you, to cover you in every way? Can you say like Ruth, cover me, Cover me. Spread the corner of your garment over me, Jesus. Cover me. We serve a God who longs to cover us. He actually aches for our redemption. <laughs> There's this beautiful point in Matthew 23. Jesus looks out over Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. 
Jesus aches. How I've longed to have you under my covering. How I've longed to gather you. And of course, he did come. <laughs> he didn't sit around idle as we wallowed in our misery. He did come. And of course, he spread his arms wide, wide, in a once final sacrifice for us on the cross. I pray when you see that, that image of Jesus on the cross with his arms spread wide, you think about this picture. You think about the corners of his garment spread over you, his righteousness spread over you, never closed off, always arms open wide, ready to receive you. As I showed you that picture at the beginning about my own you know, mountaintop and then falling down, nine years later, that picture pops up in my memory now as it did this last week, and I just say, oh, thank you, Jesus. Because I can now say, God has done some amazing, amazing, amazing redemption in my own life that I never, never could have seen coming. As I just reached out, thank you, as I just reached out my hand to say, God, cover me, this hurts. God, would you redeem in my life what's been lost, what's been broken, what's so achy. He's been so faithful. And, it, you know, as much as it hurt for, you know, a few years after that, now, legitimately, I see that picture. I'm like, man, I thought that was a mountaintop. But God in his redemption, he's not going to like match you, like, you know, meet you where you were. He's going to transform where you were, and he's going to pour exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask of or imagine in his redemption. That mountaintop now just kind of looks like a hill in the story. It's not like the peak, the best is yet to come. It is yet to come. Let's end with this verse. This is from Psalm 107. Verses one through nine, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, from every corner. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, we thank you for your redemption. How kind you are. How kind you are, God, that you have seen us just like Naomi and just like Ruth. You have seen us in our loss. You have seen us in our heartache. You have seen us in our brokenness. You've given us such a beautiful picture in the common story of a Moabitess and a man named Boaz to show us how you're a provider, to show us how you're a redeemer, to show us how you won't leave us as we are, but you will draw us in, to show us how you care for us in every way.
God, I pray for every heart this morning who has found themselves in a place much like Naomi and much like Ruth. Maybe they have seen glimpses of your kindness. Maybe they have seen glimpses of your providing for them, of you making all things new with your redemption. God, I pray that you would open their eyes ever wider to see how you have come and you are still coming. God, you are still coming in to redeem and to save. You are still coming to make all things new. You are still coming to restore what is lost, what is broken. What we feel like is hopeless, God, you have reached your arms out wide. God, would you cover us? We are asking for your covering with every part of your righteousness, your holiness. You're providing for us. You're protecting of us. We receive it now. We receive it now in your name. And all of Life Church says, Amen.